0: Hello pod pals and welcome to series four of Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. It's good to be back. It's always nice to hit the reset button and, you know, take some time away and then return to whatever endeavour, um, you know, feeling a bit more refreshed and curious. And, you know, I have to admit, I'm always very glad to have the podcast to return to as a means of exercising that curiosity. How are you all feeling? You know, I'm I'm a little bit done with everything, I have to say, um, you know, just craving some excitement and novelty and rooms that I haven't been to before. <laughs> But um, I am very happy to be here with a fresh batch of podcast guests to hopefully accompany you on your daily walks, wherever they may take you. And my first guest of the series is the wonderful Eva Riley. Eva is a Scottish director and screenwriter currently based in Brighton. She graduated from the National Film and Television School in 2015, whereupon her final year film, Patriot, premiered in competition at Cannes. In 2019, she was commissioned to write and direct Diagnosis by BBC Films, a film that garnered the attention of Barry Jenkins, among many other people, and she was subsequently named a Screen International Star of Tomorrow. Eva's first feature, Perfect 10, was developed and produced through Creative England's Feature Scheme, and later premiered at LFF. It tells the story of a young gymnast played by Frankie Box whose already difficult life is disrupted by the appearance of a half-brother played by Alfie Deegan whose existence she was unaware of it's currently on BBC iPlayer. It's a dazzling debut, uh, you know, very, very assured and sensitive filmmaking and performances. And its rebellious summery vibe is perfect for these still rather cold, wintry months. And Eva actually just won a BIFFER award. I think it was the Raindance Discovery Award. She won for Perfect Ten. So if that's not reason to check this film out, uh, I don't know what is. I think Eva is a brilliant filmmaker, and she made for a wonderful interview she didn't sugarcoat any of her successes and i think she makes visible the hard work and effort it's it's taken to arrive at this very well-deserved moment we talk about working with young actors what her filmmaking instincts are giving less fucks about asking for what she wants the physical demands of directing the realities of pre-production and what she learned from making her first feature this is episode 76 of best girl grip Um, I'd love to know, first off, what you consider to be, like, your first official job in film.
1: I had, first of all, some experience on film sets. When I was, like, after I left my undergraduate degree, where I first got interested in filmmaking, and um, I started to get some jobs. I just wanted to know what it was like to be on a sort of professional film set. So I got a job on a short film that was shooting in Edinburgh, and I think I was an art department assistant. And I don't know why, but I thought art department would be quite a cool area to be in. And yeah, I was just assisting the main art director um, and it was like a sort of horror short film, I think. And it was really interesting. I did realise quite quickly that, art department definitely wasn't my my thing especially when you're assistant I think there's such detail oriented things like I remember I think I had to make like cobwebs or something on a window and I was like wow this is really not me like to focus on one small task I think that's the genius of of people who do those kind of jobs that they can do that but I think I realized it wasn't really for me
0: so your intention to get into the film industry you know went back to pre-university if you were wanting to study filmmaking at university like at what point do you start to think that the film industry might be for you?
1: I definitely didn't want to be a film film director or even in the film industry from when I was young. So I wanted there's lots of different things I wanted to be before university, but I ended up sort of doing like a panic thing like I wasn't sure what I was doing and then a course came up um, in the University of Bolton actually and they did like a you know you can go through clearing so there was a uh, a course came up in photography and video. And I was, I'd really got really interested in photography the year before. And so I went along and, and joined that course, which was really fun. And, um, and then after that, actually, I, I think I got a bit homesick. I really enjoyed my time in Bolton and I learned a lot, actually. It was really, really fun. I think I just got a bit homesick and I missed Edinburgh, where I'm from. And I decided to transfer back onto the second year of a photography and film course at Napier University in Edinburgh. And again, I, I really wanted to do stills photography at that point. I was really obsessed with like art and photography. And that was my real passion, but I think I was really lucky that I got into that course, which was photography and film, and that I could sort of dabble in in that. So in my it's like my second year. I decided to do some filmmaking, and because a lot of my new friends I made in Edinburgh were had, a bit, had already had a bit of experience making films, and I just thought I'd just tag along and try that out. And also, like I'd always had an interest in, like I'd always kept like notebooks from when I was very young, and would always write write down ideas and like for stories and things. But it wasn't in yeah. terms of like I didn't imagine it going anywhere. It was just like a sort of fun thing, and I used that to to make um. A short film and then when I did that I was like wow I really really enjoyed it. I just loved it I just loved every part of making it um, and it was a really nice experience yeah and that's when I started to think oh well film film making film is fun and that's an interesting thing to do but I de- definitely didn't think at that point oh I'm gonna end up working in the film industry I didn't think of director like it just wasn't it just felt like a very far away idea but I like the idea of being in film so that's like why I started to get jobs and film sets and things
0: And so, at what point did it crystallise for you that you wanted to pursue directing? And can you maybe describe that path from, you know, that first art department assistant job into starting to kind of make inroads towards that?
1: Yeah. So after I left um, my undergraduate degree, like I said, I was doing all these. I was doing lots of different jobs. You know, I was just like, you know, working in bars and cafes and things, and then you know, just trying to work out what I was doing. And I did a bit of producing, like I produced like an animation animated short, and I was just, you know, what it's like when you. That age, just sort of dabbling around with everything, trying to work out what you want to do. And, and I think I was quite fortunate because at that time there was a lot of call outs for funding. Creative Scotland, I think it's called Screen Scotland now, but Creative Scotland at the time were doing like you could apply for money to make a film. And and I just yeah, so I would just apply to things. You know, anything that would come up, I would just apply to it. And I got so I got like funding for making a short film. And I think that's really been like uh, a thing that's continued throughout my career is like applying for stuff. And maybe getting little bits of funding to make films. So I was just kind of blown away when I was given some money to make a short film. I was like, someone's going to give me like, what, £10,000 to make a film. That just completely amazed me. Yeah, that sort of set me on my path, really. Um, I made a short film called Sweetheart. And then shortly after that, I got funding again from a place called Ideas Tap. If you were under 25, you could apply to get like a small amount of money. So I did that and got money to make a, a second fil- short film. And that is such an amazing way to get experience making a film because those things are about supporting new filmmakers. And they're kind of a risk. I guess it's like a lower risk thing for you as a filmmaker. Obviously, you want to make a good film, but obviously they're, they're supporting you to, to make something and express yourself. So, you know, I'm not 100%... Happy with everything I made on the, you know, making those films, but it was like a, like a little film school, you know. And I think I'm quite good when I have that pressure of a deadline and a pressure of, you know, getting that funding and feeling a lot of responsibility for for doing a good job with it. And I, I learned an awful lot, and that basically took me towards applying to film school uh, to the NFTS with those films. And it's really set me on my journey. So I think I almost sometimes wonder if I hadn't got those fundings like where I would be because in a way it was a huge confidence boost to, to be given that and to be allowed to make a film. And they're really important and it's such a shame. Like I, t- I teach film students now or, and recently and I, they're often asking me about stuff like that. And it's so much less common to have call funding these days. And it's really sad because yeah. they're, they're so important in developing people's careers.
0: And I guess i the other thing that kind of struck me was that you must have had the confidence or a sense that you had the ability to tell stories to even be able to like apply for that and to think you know that you stood a chance and I'm wondering what, you know whether that was innate or kind of where did that sense of yeah instinct or confidence come from?
1: I don't know it's funny like i, I don't I don't really know in a way, I think it was actually uh, there was something quite, actually quite private about it because I when I applied to them it was something I could just sort of do in secret like I didn't tell anyone you know I was doing it and it was just sort of taking a punt on it and and like I say like I would find it so much harder to publicly you know at the time sort of publicly put myself out there say, I'm gonna raise all this money or find it a different way for me it was much easier at the time to just sort of quietly put in an application you know and I'm fortunate like you know I, I know how to write and, you know, like putting applications together, that's something I'm, I'm quite good at. So in a way, it's funny, the confidence thing, because I felt not, not like I, I didn't feel like unconfident, but I definitely didn't feel like someone who was going around saying, woohoo, I'm a film director, I'm going to be a film director. That felt like a very far off thing. It was just kind of like, I was just trying out everything at the time, basically. But when I got it, like, I was so amazed to get it and so pleased. And then I was like, I think this is the story of my life. You know, like, I, <laughs> I, I, I put myself out there and, and then I get it and I'm like, um, you know, just to say there's so many things I've applied to and not got, you know, which I think is such an important thing to talk about because, you know, it's always people talking about things that they've achieved and things they've got, but, like, behind every funding application or whatever you get, there's about 14 million yeah. you didn't get. When when I did get it, I feel like, wow, that's amazing, and then I sort of panic because I'm like, oh, God, I've got to do it now and there's all this pressure.
0: And so then, did um, going to NFTS kind of then for like a public declaration of you wanting to be a film director, you know, like, finally submitted to this impulse... <laughs>
1: Yeah I guess so yeah Um no well definitely I think I think before that point actually I decided like I really wanted to make a go of it so um I think that around the time that I got my second funded short film I think I was starting to be like okay I can kind of say that like I'm trying to be a film director or trying to work in film you know and with the NFTS I actually applied twice I think and again like it's really okay. important to say like uh I'd met, like, an NFTS scout, I guess. I don't know if they have them anymore. In Glasgow, I was working at, like, a film festival, you know, like, taking tickets and stuff like that. And I met someone who said, oh, you should apply with a short film you did. And I applied. And I got an interview. And I thought, it went well, well, but I didn't get in. And I was quite upset I didn't get in. But, you know, at the same time, it was a hard place to get into. And there was a very nice lady, Linda Miles, who used to be the head of the directing course there. And she very sweetly wrote a little letter, sort of saying, you know, we did like your interview. And, you know... Maybe just make another film and apply again, Um, which was really nice because I don't think I would have done it again if she hadn't. And then I did make another short film and I applied it and got in. So that was brilliant. Yeah, I was just like, wow, what an exciting thing to do to go and, you know, a luxury to go and study uh, film in such a focused way. Not not just film, but film directing, because I kind of already had studied a bit of film theory and a bit of film practice, but not like really focused on being a director. And I was just really buzzing again
0: yeah it goes to show that you should like try again in those circumstances because I think sometimes we take those things as sort of like oh they have to say that or you know they're just trying to soften the blow but actually yeah it could take multiple times and all it takes is one yes to kind of set you on that path
1: definitely and I think also if you are a person who gives opportunities to people I think it's really important to remember like how important that can be to like help someone out or like let them know that they should try again like because it's you know it's hard and people can get turned off careers which would be totally viable for them
0: and can you talk a bit more about your experience at nfts and how it kind of set you up for your career as a filmmaker and maybe the types of things that you were learning there
1: yeah, so um, I, had a, I had a really great time at film school. It's two years. Like, the first year is very, um, quite intensive. Like they really sort of take it back to basics. Just about story and characters and acting, um, directing actors. And there's a lot of sort of playing around with little workshops and things. And then in the second year, you, you, you sorry, you do make a 16 mil short film at the end of the first year, which is fun. And they, they kind of make it a limited. You get a limited amount of stock. So, you you know, you really have to focus on, you know, getting everything done in that time. And that with that amount of stock, and then the second year you, you've got two more short films to do. So I think it was a really massive, massive learning curve for me at film school because not only did I, you know, just get lots of experience uh, working on films and talking to other filmmakers and stuff, but I think I sort of realised what I was really interested in as a filmmaker and like what I, what, like very clear about how I wanted to make films. Even though each film I make and want to make is different, like, there's all these kind of core things I'm interested in, so I started to really realise that I liked really complex characters. And also characters who were not always heroic, you know, in the protagonists who were not always heroic. So I'm, I became really interested in characters who were like sometimes doing the wrong thing or almost like acting like antagonists, I guess, because I just thought it was really interesting. I did a short film, a short film for video with Charlene White as the main actress, and that was like a real turning point for me because I she's a really complicated character, and I just was really interested in that. And also I started to get really interested in uh, improvising and working with actors to improvise and and create really like sort of spontaneous performances. And I think just to have those two years to make these three short films and also all these little different exercises we did was really key just to have the space to like play around with that and like really try and focus on, on, on that way of directing, which is a bit different, you know. And I think that gave me more confidence in the way I wanted to make films.
0: And then what about the transition coming out of that? Because obviously you're then, you just describe this very intense two-year period where you have maybe all the resource at your fingertips and the support that you need to make these films. And then you're kind of back out into the real world and trying to kind of maintain that momentum. And did you find that tricky at all or did you kind of find it quite natural?
1: Yeah, I found it really, really hard. I think I think a lot of people who leave there do find it really hard afterwards because, I mean, you leave, you know, you actually leave film school in the January So it's just like this very cold, bleak (laughs) start of your year and you're like, oh God, like what am I going to do with my life? And yeah, it was really hard. And I, you want to keep the the momentum up from what you've been doing and this, there's there's quite an unhealthy focus on things like uh, getting an agent and stuff. Not, not by the film school, but just, I think there's that whole sense of like trying to get an agent, even trying to get your next thing off the ground. And it's, there's a lot of, it's a bit of a pressure cooker, I think, especially towards the end of second year, because you're like, God, I've got to do well and. I don't want to waste the time and and everything. Um, so it was a bit bit hard, but then I was really fortunate in that I my, my short film I made did did well, and that was just really exciting. It got into Cannes, and I hadn't had a film short film in a I had it in festivals, but I hadn't had it in like a high profile festival before. And right. um, so it was just very very. I just again was really really excited, and you know it was all a bit over the top. You know going to Cannes and waltzing around and you know it's all <laughs> lovely yeah so that was a fun year just celebrating that short film which I was I was proud of and um, I started to develop new ideas I started to develop new feature ideas which was a new thing I was very scared about making a feature film it just it seemed like this huge thing you know because I'd made quite a few short films before but it's so different directing a feature film and also like I love feature films I spent my whole life watching films that I love and I'm very particular about what I like and you know, I just, it just seemed like a huge thing, you know, so I was just starting to think about ideas and, and it sort of slowly slowly started to go towards that.
0: And were you doing other work in the meantime, you know, like post-graduating and before starting to kind of make a living out of filmmaking, you know, what were you doing to survive? Yeah,
1: well, um, I, once I left film school, I moved back, so I, I, I'm from Edinburgh originally, but I moved to Brighton not long before I started film school. And then I, I went away to film school and then I came back to Brighton afterwards, so I lived here with my partner and I connected with the film school in Brighton and started to get some work there so I think what I've always done most most of the time is like have my own writing and directing stuff going on but always having like something else alongside it so that was a really good uh, run of work that, where I was sort of lecture it started off sort of just, just doing little lectures and stuff and then I started to do more intensive like lecturing and mentoring students so that I was doing that alongside writing, developing feature projects and throughout the development of Perfect 10 feature film and I've kind of done that up until last year and i i've really really enjoyed that like i love working with students i I found actually i miss it a bit because i've not done it in a a little while now and i'm going to go back to it hopefully soon i love how i actually learn more about myself through teaching sometimes i'll say something very confidently in a class and i'm like oh yeah that's absolutely right yeah that is that is true and it's something that i i hadn't really realized almost until i said it so it kind of synthesizes all these ideas when i'm teaching it
0: yeah, I suppose it helps you inter- interrogate your own practices and just, you know, they're, they're asking questions of you, which, you know, might throw up things that you just kind of haven't thought about. I guess you're in that environment where, yeah, curiosity is like key, I think.
1: I really loved, like, I did a lot of like screening short films and feature films to students and it's quite exciting, like, getting someone who's a bit younger than you, like, showing them something that they haven't seen before and them getting really excited about it. Something that's maybe a bit more harder to get hold of or harder to see for them and you know you feel like wow they're pretty excited about this this film it's a great feeling
0: and it throws up the question how you kind of balance um you know that side of things with your creative practice and you know do you have quite like a set in stone schedule that you keep to in order to kind of devote time to your writing as well
1: yeah, that's a great question. I, I got really obsessed with that when I was doing Perfect 10 because I found it really, really hard to write a feature film. I mean, I enjoyed it. but I just found it like a big slog, like trying to work out what the story was about. And I spent a lot of time writing this film. And so I got really into having a routine. I'm, I'm, it's interesting because I didn't used to be a routine person, but everyone says now that I'm like really obsessed with routines. So I find that I work best 100% in the mornings, which is really annoying because I'm, I'm not a morning person. I don't know why my body does this to me, but I'm literally like the laziest person. I'm so bad at getting out of my bed. I always sleep through my alarms. I'm notorious for the amount of alarms I have to put on to, but and it's like and then I'm in a job where when I'm directing I have to get really early in the mornings and also yeah. I, when I'm writing I, I work best in the mornings it's just a cruel joke I, I, when I wrote short films I found everything much easier with writing and I was I didn't need to have that with writing feature as much as possible when I when I wasn't doing something else I'd try and get up and get out of my house go somewhere else to work for like two or three hours um, and do that really intensive writing time and then after that I would find I'd have more time for emails and um like speaking to people and also on my laptop I have like a thing called self-control which is a, an app where it completely blocks certain websites but you you can't get back on it it's just, I, don't, I haven't found a way to do it so so what I would do when I was writing is just go to somewhere to work put my blocker app on my laptop and and I couldn't get back online and that would sort of force me in. the thing is I don't find that's the same if it's practical stuff I don't have the same issues with getting distracted but if it's like writing a script and it's really hard I do get very distracted
0: and I'm really interested in the fact that you found um, feature writing difficult because often I think of it as the other way around, you know, especially when you grow up watching feature films and they're just kind of the medium that you consume on a regular basis. And then trying to distill those ideas into a shorter form seems like the trickier thing in a way. So I'm wondering, you know, if you could expand more about what you found tricky about feature writing, just because I I, I don't think I've heard that um, perspective that often.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I love feature films. I've watched them so much. And with short films, I, I watched a lot of them as well. But I always found them easy. I don't know, whenever I came up with short films, like when I had the idea, it was almost like pretty much I could imagine the whole narrative in my head. And they were so simple and just like having complicated characters and stuff like that. And and I, for me, simplicity is really key with films. Like I, I don't like it when I watch a film and it feels very really convoluted or there's like too many strands you know, it just feels like it's. sometimes you have a great film for two thirds, and then the end's like a real downer. Yeah. And it's so easy, like you know, it's so easy to to do that with a film because it's really hard to write a feature film. I think. Also, like at NFTS and before, I'd never actually been trained in screenwriting, so my right. my my teaching was on directing, and we we didn't cover you know writing feature films. So it was kind of a new thing for me. And I think the biggest problem, especially with Perfect Ten, because it is actually a deceptively complicated thing to write, even though it's quite a simple story in its you know, final form, is that finding simplicity in a feature film, I find really hard because you have lots, you know, you have probably more characters. You have all these narrative rise and falls that have to happen. And in Perfect Ten, I mean, it was a bit bonkers, like it had gymnastics, mopeds, a family store, all these things, you know what I mean? And, I just think it's. I find it hard. Like I find it hard to sustain a simple narrative over the longer period. Basically, so that is all always the bigger that takes up the biggest amount of time for me. Is just trying to find that that simple narrative which doesn't feel cliche, doesn't feel too melodramatic, you know, doesn't feel like something else uh, that it shouldn't be. Um, and always comes back to the characters that just for me just takes a long long time and what and for, it's the structure is like I say is the problem once I kind of have that structure in my head which is literally just sort of bullet points really then I feel like I can really expand out and write it quite the actual writing of it is quite quick.
0: I suppose it comes to the, yeah as you say like thinking about ideas but spending the time to actually you know embed them into the into the plot in a way that it feels like it belongs there as opposed to like it's just an idea that you've come up with the sort of you know carry the momentum along or something like that it's tricky it's
1: It's hard because i think when i come up with an idea for any film it all starts with kind of like an image um or like a very like small sort of small idea and it's sort of that's really exciting and everything with a feature film you have to expand that and you have to have all these different flows to the narrative and that is it's really tricky but i think the key to it is just obviously working on it for a long time but also like speaking to other people you know who can support you and like Using people as a sounding board to like speak out your idea, and there's lots of ways to get to get through it.
0: And so, what was the genesis of Perfect Ten? You know, what was the image or the the, the kernel of the idea that led you to that?
1: For a Perfect Ten, I had I had this image in my head of like a, a, a brother and sister, like in the countryside in the sunshine, like having fun. Essentially, it was just like a very vivid image in my in my head. Which is funny because it's kind of in the final film at some point that image. And that that was the image I started with, and then I I really worked out from there like trying to work out who these two kids were.
0: And you, you developed the film through iFeatures, as I understand it. Um, and can you talk a little bit about being part of that scheme? You know, how much did you have when you applied? And, um, you know, what did you leave with in a kind of tangible sense? You know, did you have the draft by the end of that scheme, basically?
1: Oh, yeah. So with iFeatures, I I applied with um, Jacob, who is my producer. I mean, Jacob started kind of throwing the idea around together after film school. Like, I think I came to him with the idea of, you know, this image of the, the kids, and we, I kind of went from there and created a real loose sort of. I think it was it was a, a small treatment. We had to submit like maybe a one two pager of, of an idea. And I think the idea was that you should submit something that wasn't finished. You know, you shouldn't submit a draft. And the whole idea was was a development process. And I think at that time, iFeatures was quite different from what it is now. I don't. I can't remember if it's still running actually.
0: I think it's just closed, actually, which is, or, or maybe for like a thinking period to kind of re-reboot.
1: At the time, it was, it, I felt like it was like the X factor for films, because it was like you submitted, <laughs> like you submitted, and then when you got in, there was like 12 groups of filmmakers, and then they whittled it down to nine and six, and then there was three final films that got made. So yeah, so I took it from that point with Jacob, we developed the idea, you know, developed the idea, and uh, we got it to a treatment. And then we also went, like, we got through these stages. And at every stage, we would get a bit more money and a bit of time and stuff like that to write the script. So I was writing the script. And then at the end of it, I had a second draft by the time we got greenlit to make the film. And that was over the period of about... A year, I'd say, it could be nine months, nine months a year. And it was really good. Like it was, we had some really nice execs who were mentoring and supporting the film. And, and we, you know, got access to script editors through the process. And, and, you know, we got paid to write a script, which is great, you know, because, you know, I hadn't really been paid much before.
0: And bearing in mind, you have that kind of academic background in directing, but less so in script writing. I'm wondering how you found the development process and how you took on feedback or, or imposed that feedback on yourself, because sometimes it's hard to kind of, you, you can take on board an idea, but then to actually like turn it into something tangible that you can kind of do with the script, I think is probably sometimes quite difficult. So how did you find that process?
1: Yeah, it felt, it did feel quite, quite long. And I mean, I think it was good for me because like I had, again, there was all these deadlines and I think I'm really good when I have deadlines in place because it's something to work towards you know so all these deadlines to hit which meant you know I really had to focus on getting there we had feedback along the way and yeah feedback is always a tricky one like you've got to you know because you have like different execs and you've got your producer and and all those things and a script editor reading it and I think it's a real art taking feedback and, and learning how to put it into your work I think like when I was a bit younger and I have had short film feedbacks and short films stuff like that, you can get quite like, oh, don't criticize me. And, but the, it really, you have to kind of get past that and like learn to listen to feedback. I find it's best just to like try and listen to the feedback, like write down, write it all down and then go through it with someone else afterwards. And, and you don't have to take on board all the feedback, do you know what I mean? Because, and sometimes it's really important to understand like where the feedback comes from. So sometimes someone will say, this bit didn't work. I don't know, but some bit in the script didn't work. And you think in your head, well yes, it did work. It absolutely it does work, you know, because of this and this and this. But sometimes if you take a step back and you think, okay, do you know what actually it's not that bit that's not working, it's the bit earlier in the script, which is making this bit not make sense, you know? And then in just terms of general development, yeah, it does it does feel like quite a slog developing stuff. And and sometimes you're like it's frustrating because you think you kind of feel like you're going down the wrong path sometimes and you think, this is not right, but you still go down it because you don't know what else. <laughs> Hell to do, you know? But I don't know what to do. So you'd go down that route and then, and you kind of come back from it. But in a way, going down the wrong path, you kind of realise, okay, well, at least that's not the way to go with it. And there was a lot of that in Perfect 10, like because there's, it's almost like people will say, oh, it's a sports film because it's got gymnastics. Or people will say, oh, it's a crime film because there's crime in it and, you know, mopeds and stuff in it. Or it's family drama. And actually, I had to go down a lot of wrong paths in the script writing, and that there's like a really schlocky version of like Perfect 10 where it's much more to do with crime and it's much more dramatic. And there's a version where it's more like a competition film, you know, where it's going towards a, a final, you know, sports competition. And I think I had to go down those paths to realise like that is so not me. And I had to keep on like watching other films, like reading stories and things and doing a lot of research into like the real world. You, think, you know, the film is set in to realise actually there was a much more simple way through it. So I think probably I made it more difficult than it needs to be <laughs> the whole development process. But again, it's like it makes it so much easier for the next films that I develop
0: yeah and I guess knowing your process for next time, you kind of now know much more how your brain works or how you're just how you get to certain ideas and I have to say, like with perfect ten, like having just said that you you see that your film kind of flirts with all these ideas. And I think it's so much more grounded by not like going fully for like one like genre or one kind of element. It sort of, it, it feels much more truthful because of that. And that kind of leads me on to my next question, which is, I, I read a quote that you said, I features sort of helped you develop or follow your instincts. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that, you know, like what, what do you feel your instincts are as a filmmaker? And, you know, was it ever difficult to listen to them or like to follow your creative intuition?
1: Yeah, so my, I think, I think it was really good because it did give me a lot of space. I mean, there was feedback and everything. But at the end of the day, I, I did feel like I was allowed to film, you know, I wanted to make and and to get the, to almost to have the time to work out what I wanted to make, I guess. I think my instincts, you always come back to like, does this feel like a real thing that's happening in front of me? Like this that Perfect Hand is essentially a naturalistic film. And, you know, I also do, I really don't like things which feel too cheesy you know like i'm a bit averse to that even though there's a lot of sweetness within *Perfect 10 you know it's it's a quite a sweet story at the heart of it between the brother and sister but i always want it to feel like it's been done in a slightly different way or it's not quite it doesn't take you quite where you expect i guess so i think my instincts when i'm you know literally looking through the camera or the you know looking at the monitor at what's happening is and my instincts are like does this feel like real people saying real stuff do you know what I mean and if it doesn't then I do another take and then apart from that it's hard to say like it's such a ephemeral thing you know like sometimes I just know this is not right this does not feel good and I think that's always about going back to what the story is really about it's like a very basic thing to say people always like you know what is the story about but it's really really important and sometimes you can get overexcited when you're developing something or shooting something or editing something and you think oh this this bit's really cool this looks amazing I'm going to do this but then you've got look at it again and think and your gut is just going to say do you know what that looks cool on its own but within the scope of this whole film this isn't what I've set out to make and like there was a scene like I think we shot a version of one scene in Perfect 10 and I was really tired when we were directing it and I don't know it was just really over the top and really melodramatic and really shouty and it just wasn't like, really wasn't how I wanted it to be so like when I watched The Rushes again I was really like my gut yeah, was telling me like we can't I can't have this in the film this isn't you know everything else was so not like that and so I had to you know really ask to get some bit more shooting time to go back and reshoot this scene which was a massive pain for production I'm sorry production but you know I was like we, we can't we have to have to go back and shoot this reshoot this because it's such an important moment in the film and it's really going to throw things off balance so I think your, my inst- or one's instincts are so helpful when it comes to like putting your foot down sometimes and making a bit of a fuss, but that's something I've massively learned as a filmmaker. Like I used to be absolutely rubbish at putting my foot down and saying, you know, like I, I just I don't want to make a, a scene. Do you know what I mean? Like I just like to get on with people and have a nice time, you know, in my everyday life. But when it comes to film, you know, you really have to know when things have to be different than what they are. When I was younger, I used to make short films, and I was quite unhappy sometimes with with them because, and I'd realized in the edit, I was like, oh, I really should have not done that, and I did that because. I thought someone someone else made a suggestion and I just went along with it. Whereas now I'm probably a bit of a nightmare because <laughs> I just don't do that because I've had such bad experiences before with that. And I'm like, no, no, we have to change this because when you know, you, you just know. And, you know, with film, it's so much money involved in making it. And, like, you just don't want to sit in the edit and, like, be kicking yourself for something, which would have maybe been a small problem at the time, but actually is a huge problem later on.
0: Yeah, And I think actually, that's one of the things that's probably most difficult about being a woman director. And I mean, you can speak to this more than I can. But I have the sense that it's harder to speak up as a woman, because we so often get labels as a result of that, you know, being difficult or being a diva or being a nightmare, you know, like, it is sometimes harder to voice your opinion just because we get shot down for making a scene more than I think men do so did that ever feel tricky for you to kind of raise your voice? I think
1: think that can be true I mean everyone's different it's hard to say but like I think especially when I was younger as a young woman I it was so out of my like I don't know I just it wasn't an actual thing it didn't feel like a right thing I I just didn't feel confident enough to like do that. Hopefully that's changed. I think it is, I think it is changing much more, you know. And I think, yeah, and I think as I've, as I've got older and I have started to change and become much more confident when it comes to being on set, I think probably there have been times I got the sense people are like, oh my God, she's a nightmare. But do you know what? I literally couldn't give a fuck. (laughs) I mean, that's basically where I've got to now where I'm like, "I, I just don't care. Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, like whenever I'm doing something like that, it's coming from a place where all i want is to for people to watch the film and be happy that they were involved in the film and
0: i want to be happy and not regret it yeah that's the beauty of age you start you do start giving much less fucks the older you get and I'd love to talk about the performances because I know Frankie Box um, got a Biffa nomination for hers and that just must be such a source of pride. And particularly when you're working with young actors, you know, what's that relationship like, especially if you're involving moments of like improvisation and and maybe helping their own confidence on screen for perhaps the first time? How did you find that process as a director?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm so... Proud of Frankie and Alfie, who are the leads in the film. So, yeah, Frankie got nominated for a Biffa for Best Debut, which is amazing. And also, Alfie got long listed for it, which has been amazing because I think he's just got an agent off the back of that long listing. And Frankie's now got an agent as well. So, both of them are sort of potentially set up for having a, a longer career in film, which I'm absolutely of the moon. I mean, obviously, they didn't have to do that. You know, if they decided after they didn't ever want to do it again, but it was a good experience, then that's great as well. But they did, so I'm really happy. I mean, it was, it was, I felt like a real sense of responsibility to the actors because I think you know it's a huge thing being a lead character in a if like being you know never having acted in your life and then suddenly being a lead character in a film and having all this attention well there's two, there's two sides to it one is that it's just exa- you know it's an exhausting process and you know it's a big thing to go through and obviously your your face your image all this stuff's going to be out there in the world you know that's a huge thing but also a th- thing that I'm really aware of is that when you're young person and you know just a normal life and then suddenly you get this all this incredible attention on film set you know it's like five weeks of you just getting treated like not that we treat them like stars we just treat them like you know anyone else but they get a huge amount of attention get a lot of focus on them you know it's it's quite cool you know you get food brought to you all the time like it's really nice and then suddenly it's gone do you know what i mean it's like bye-bye and i really 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 did not want that, that to be a total downer for them do you know what i mean so i was we were always like talking a lot once we cast them and, and work with them, like about how this is going to be really exciting. But when you leave, it's suddenly going to be a bit of a downer because it's just back to normal life, you know, and also had to explain how long it takes for the film to get edited and to get out there. And, you know, we shot it in like 2018. So it's, you know, a long time, uh, you know, they're first time actors, but they're as good as any other actor I've worked with. You know what I mean? and, I'm so happy they're going to be, you know, joining the film industry. But yeah, in terms of of, of casting them, yeah, so we uh, I had a fantastic cast and director called Lucy Party, who's just like a total god. I love her. She's based in Brighton as well, where I am, and I sort of hunted her down and like harassed her by email to please <laughs> someone like be my film. I was, really fortunate to have her on and we, we put the casting out really wide, like gymnastics clubs to find to find our gymnast and also we had like casting scouts to go along the sort of south coast um to different like community centres or on the street or boxing gyms or all these different places to try and find young guys, uh all, like garages and stuff like that where people would ride motorbikes. And um we had the, like a big audition process where so we'd we'd come in, we'd sort of meet try and meet everyone individually just for a little chat, just get a sense of what they were like. And then we call back people we thought were interesting to do individual auditions. And then we do group auditions. Uh, and then we do chemistry tests with like different combinations of boys and girls that we liked. And yeah, Frankie, so Frankie Frankie is just such a pro. I mean, she's really amazing. Uh, she was maybe like f- 14, 15 when I first met her. And she's just so wanted to do it. You know, she was so into doing it. And she, you know, when we first started to see her act, she had like definitely really great instincts. And she was really funny and like really confident. And just, like, had a great, great chat. You know, we had a you know good chat with her. And I noticed really early on that, like, it was really kind of weird. Like, if I would give her a direction, like, you know, kind of a complex direction, like, with different parts to it, you know, like, three different parts to, you know, she'd do a scene, and I'd be like, okay, can we do it again? Like you do this, 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 this. And she'd just be like, okay, yeah, and just do it. And I was like, wow, that's a lot better than, you know, other train actors that I've seen. And then Alfie... We actually were considering him for a different role in the film, but then he came along, I chatted to him, and I was just like, who is this guy? I love him so much. He's so lovely. (laughs) He's got this, I don't know, he's got this mad, amazing energy. Like, he's really, really chatty. He's just really magnetic person to speak to, and I really, like, found him really funny. And then when we, so I I started auditioning him for the part of Joe, and he was really good. A bit nervous at first, but really good. And then I put Frankie and Alfie together for a chemistry test and they were just like absolutely amazing. I was like, what's going on? This is incredible. They, it was like some, it was just a dream to see them together. We were always so We weren't really, uh, they weren't really reading a script, but we were improvising and they were just so good at it. And they got on so well. And it was almost like they kind of knew each other from before because they had a little chat before we came in. And it was almost like they known each other for ages. So it was just amazing. Yeah, we do some rehearsals. We, uh, what I like to do is I don't like to rehearse scenes from the film itself because I feel like you kind of... I've had it before in films where you you rehearse the scenes before the, you shoot the film and then they do the best performance in the rehearsals. You're like, fuck, say, you know.
0: You're always trying to get back to that moment.
1: Yeah, because it's like... But it, it makes sense to me because in real life, we don't go around repeating the same moments in our life, do we? So for me, it's all about kind of bubbling up, bubbling everything up until the shoot and then you shoot it and you get the best moment there you know and um, so we just did really interesting rehearsals where I, I actually rehearsed Alfie and Frankie separately with actors that were playing their mums and dads and things so they kind of had a sense of who they were and kept it kind of fresh for the shoot and then yeah and then during the shoot I think you know I think they were a bit bold, bowled over you know by how many people were involved and in I had told them repeatedly like you know but I think they just suddenly realised when they actually got there like the, you know like sort of this the theory but in practice it's so different you know And um, I think they were a bit nervous in the first couple of days, but then we just got into the swing of it. And I just really lent into doing improvised scenes. So when I say improvised, it doesn't mean, (laughs) I always try and repeat this, because people think that when I say improvised, it means I made up the story on the spot. It's not like that. (laughs) You know, the whole script, all the turning points in the the film are are mapped out and each scene is written. But it's just that you give, I gave the actors like the scope for changing the dialogue around, sometimes a little bit sometimes quite a lot you know sometimes I'd say okay you really have to say this but you can say something else in the run up to that bit you know and it's kind of using certain like lines of dialogue as kind of like a like a turning point for the scene so it's like you can go anywhere with this but once you get to this line then you change it and you're, you're going to go this way with the emotion you know and it just I find I think Alfie especially loved that I think Frankie as well they both loved it but I think Alfie because he had a bit of nerve sometimes about like, dialogue and learning all the lines. Like, he just thought that it was amazing to, to work in that way. It was just so nice. It was also like, I'm a different person to them. I'm a different age. I'm from a different background. I don't know how you know they say they have certain ways of saying different things. And it's just so much more fun when it comes from them. And they've got a great sense of humor. So a lot of the jokes and funny bits in the film are just that stuff they've said. So...
0: And I mean you spoke at length there about the kind of the rehearsal process for the actors and I'm wondering how it applies to directing because you can't really rehearse directing in that way so how are you preparing for the shoot you know both mentally and physically what are you doing to gear yourself up for that?
1: That is a really good question the physically bit is really interesting because I actually went to the gym a bit before the shoot (laughs) because I was like I was it's like quite physically demanding so I started to go to the gym just to get myself like my energy up but also what I do a lot is I like watch a lot of other films I watch sometimes I watch stuff that I've done before just to remind myself of like mistakes I've made or things that worked last time I do a lot of like looking at photographs and like creating sort of mood boards for myself I don't think mood boards is quite the the term it's almost like I don't do storyboards and all like that because I can't draw but I'll do like shot lists and then I'll I'll put fine images from photos or other films or like artworks and I'll sort of put them into a big document and it's almost something to cling on to when I'm directing sometimes I won't even look at these things, but I think a lot of directors find this, that it's so terrifying, the idea of getting to set and you, you think, What if I just don't know what to do, <laughs> you know? So I find it's really good to, I'm like a natural nerd. So I like, you know, like to sort of <laughs> repair stuff, you know? So I'll have this big document and it's just got all these little ideas. And it's just so if I get stuck, I know, okay, remember this, remember that image, or I'll write out in big, like bold underlined letters, like, this is what this scene is about just these little things to remind myself. And it's more like a sort of way to put my anxiety about making it onto a physical document, <laughs> which I can look back on later. And then a lot of it, like what I love about making films is that when you get into the pre-production stage, especially when you're a writing director and when the writing stage has been fairly lonely, even though you do speak to producers and execs and script editors, it is fairly lonely. I love it when you get to pre-production and you start to work with other people. That's so nice because I'm, and actually, I actually really like love working with other people and collaborating. So for me, it's a lot of like talking to my HODs, um, Stephen, Cameron, Ferguson. My DP uh, is such a gem; like he's so amazing. Like came down to Brighton loads. Um, it, it was his first feature as well, so we were just really spending a lot of time together and just talking through like all the different scenes. Going to locations a lot. Like I, I like to visit locations, doing like last bits of research to just think about how certain things are going to be done, and just just feeling like I basically know what I'm going to do in the day. And then, and then, to be honest, when it comes to the shoot, all of that usually goes out the window, but it doesn't matter. It's like a sort of mental exercise to just get myself in the, in the right space for directing it.
0: And I'm wondering if there was anything that surprised you about the process that like, you couldn't have prepared for or that you just didn't expect to happen.
1: I think I was surprised how hard pre-production was. Pre-production was very, 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 very difficult um, mentally because I think pre-production, I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised because it makes complete sense. Like It was a you know, relatively low budget film. But with a lot of stuff going on in it, we had kids under sixteen acting in the film, which affects a lot of things, uh, budget-wise and schedule-wise. And we had motorbikes, cost a lot of money, huge amount of money, and um, you know, being in gymnastics clubs and stuff, it cost a lot of money. So, I guess pre-production was where the kind of the, the dream I had in my head meets reality, and it's a really scary time because it's like once you start to shoot, there's not a huge amount you could change. Obviously, you know, this is Decisions make, make, get made all the time during the shoot, but the biggest, you know, building blocks of of everything happens in pre production, and I found that really, really hard. Just trying to make the right decision, like, okay, we need to for, we need to get rid of this thing that I wanted, but this we you know we have to have this other thing, you know, just trying to work out what was what was the most important. And I think that's when the budget really started to stretch really, really thin at that point. And then, so, and you also at that point, I had lots, you know, you have all these suddenly all these different HODs, all these other crew coming on board and asking a million questions. So I think that took me by surprise and I was really, I felt under a lot of pressure at that point. But in terms of the shoot, I mean, it was pretty hardcore making it, you know, like tiredness wise and just getting it done. But actually the shoot, I I guess I was surprised after pre-production that how, how well I found the shoot went, even though there were lots of stumbling blocks, like in terms of like logistical things and all that. But just in terms of like Alfie and Frankie like stepped up to the plate so well like it was they were just amazing to work with not that I didn't think they would be but you know just the pressure of actually doing a five week shoot I, you know you think you do worry about things happening you know but they just were just amazing and I just I did have a lot of fun
0: That's so important, though, because it is such a pressure cooker and, you know, you are, you know, forced to kind of create something at the end of this, but you want to enjoy the process of doing it as well. Particularly, you know, when you have a career and you want to go back to it, you kind of, you don't want to, like, be dreading that moment.
1: It's a huge pressure, I think, for any first time, feature filmmaker will tell you it's a huge pressure because you think oh God, like this is going to be so embarrassing if this is just a pile of shit, you know, which it could easily be. (laughs) So um, I think, you know, I was putting myself under an enormous amount of pressure that way. But I think what really helped me was that It was summery. It was really hot and summery and bright, which is also what I wanted. So all these, like, even though lots of things were changing and sometimes going wrong, there were, like, quite key things that were going right, as in the weather was pretty amazing, which has put me in such a good mood because I'd always wanted to be this sunny film, sunny, energetic film. And also, like, some key HODs were so supportive and, like, so lovely to work with and, like, emotionally supportive as well. And I had an amazing first AD, Honai, who was just a total dream. So I think... When you feel like there's people that are got your back and really get what you're trying to do, that that's a huge, huge deal.
0: And I'm wondering what you think about the film now, you know, having had some distance from it and, you know, it now being in the world, you know, it was on BBC a few weeks back. It's now on BBC iPlayer, you know, where a lot of eyeballs can potentially be seeing it. And obviously, you know, the success of the Biffers, how are you feeling about it as something that you've created?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm really happy. I'm proud of the film. It's quite scary. Like, I'm. I'm quite actually quite a private person. It's funny, and so it, it's quite scary when you realize it's going to go out there. Because when it's a short film, you know, you know, going to people watch it, but it's more of a niche audience, and it doesn't get reviews, and it doesn't get you know stuff written about it. But I had it. You know, it went. To, it got released in France first, which was maybe quite a nice easing into it because it's like a bit more distant, you know. Yeah. But you know, so it was released in France and writing back, and then it got released in the UK and it's like oh wow we're like writing about it and like talking about it. it's like you know it's not a huge release it's just a tiny wee film but at the same time it's out there and it's, it is a bit scary but um yeah I didn't watch it you know I, I watched it so many times the editing you know, the editing the film is really intense uh really amazing amazing editor but I watched it a lot of times it was after a while I needed a break from it I think I saw it again not long before pandemic and everything uh, I was in I went to I went to I was in France Uh, for a little film festival and then I was in Glasgow as well I think in Glasgow I watched it yeah and I was happy I think I cried actually watching Glasgow because Frankie made made me cry like when she does her fight this routine towards the end like I found it really moving and then I didn't watch it again until it was on iPlayer I wasn't going to watch it but I think my boyfriend wanted to watch it I thought okay so I went okay let's just watch it again and it was amazing it was just like watching I don't mean my filmmaking was amazing what I mean because it was just quite bizarre like Watching on telly. I was like, oh wow, all these people are watching this possibly at the same time. And it just felt like, it felt really nice, it felt very pleasant, and I felt really happy. I think the additional thing, like we've spoken about, is I'm so proud of Frankie and Alfie who are in it as well. So it's like, I'm happy with the film, and I'm also just so proud of them. Obviously, there's like always things like I'm super critical of my work, and there's things that I'm like, oh, that could have been better. But you know, I feel like the main thing I set out to do, which was to make it sunny, very colourful, very energetic, and To primarily be about the journey, emotional journey of this main character and her kind of the blockages in her character because of grief. So I feel like when I watch it, what I intended to do has kind of come out mostly
0: and then you mentioned the pandemic there and i'm i'm wondering you know how have you spent this lockdown because it can be you know it's been quite hard i felt just to be sort of creatively inspired or to feel like you're doing anything worthwhile you know how has it been for you as a filmmaker are you working towards anything at the moment and how have you found kind of creating in this time
1: well i mean it's been i mean it's been totally bizarre for everyone and for me it's been like a double thing because I had a baby in October 2019 so like
0: congratulations
1: thank you very much so uh my daughter was like four or five months old when pandemic stuff went up happened so it was like pandemic first feature being released and having a baby it was just a very bizarre (laughs) selection of things do you know what I mean Uh, yeah I mean it's just strange very strange year and a horrible year but my, I guess my focus mainly, you know, was was my bringing out my daughter this this year. Yeah, and it's just been trying to, I, I, you know, I've been trying to get back into work, but that's mainly been writing. It's been a bit <laughs> tricky because I'm in quite a small flat, uh, you know, with the baby. It's hard to to find space to write and everything like that. So yeah, I mean, it's just what can I say? It's just been a bit of a bonkers year for everyone. And um, now what I'm doing is. I'm developing new projects Uh, so I'm developing another feature film which is also about teenagers with Circle but I'm working with another writer called Emily Markison who's been amazing and that's just been really nice because it's quite it feels like quite a lot to do to write a whole feature film myself especially with my life changing by having a a child.
0: I suppose it's as well though like you know pandemic aside it's always adjusting your process and kind of Uh, like you said with the rehearsal like not trying to recreate that first feature experience and just knowing that whatever you do next is going to be different just by nature of you know that's what changes and that's what growing up is yeah
1: absolutely and it's also like trying to learn like something from the last one like like I I say like I did find writing the whole thing by myself really hard so that's why I sort of you know before the pandemic you know I I decided I wanted to work with another writer on that so I think that's really really helped so I think it's just like trying to if I think if you can just like learn, learn at least one thing from each project you do that's like Good, it's going in the right direction at least.
0: Yeah, totally. And then coming towards the end, I'm wondering if you can kind of distill a career lesson. You know, like what what do you think is the biggest learning curve of your career thus far?
1: I think not to re repeat myself, but I really, really think the most important thing that I've learned is like so choose your battles, I guess, is the most important thing. Because, and not that you, everything should be a battle, do you know what I mean? It, you know, hopefully you don't have any battles making a film or anything like that. But invariably, you know, there's lots of people involved in making a film during writing, during pre-production, during the shoot and during the edit. There's lots of different opinions and there's a certain way that as a director, you are the director, that you want to make things. And it's really important. Well, first of all, it's important not to make a film by committee, which is what can easily happen when you just sort of take on every. Towards everyone's opinions, or you're not really confident enough in what you, how you want to do something. So you kind of need to learn to like really do things the way you want to do them. And I learned that through making short films, where I definitely did them by committee. And I think that, do you know what? It didn't. It's funny that didn't happen when I did my first ever tiny little short film in my undergraduate degree. That didn't happen because it was just a tiny little shoot, and it was just me and my pals like making a film in my flat and just like doing things our way, and it was really fun. But then when I started to get money to make short films, there was suddenly all these people. And I was like, where are the, who are these people? You know, I was expected to like have a lot of opinions and know how to do things. And I would sometimes just make decisions because other people said it was a good idea to do them. So I think it's, yeah, sort of learning what you want to say, you know, sometimes you'll disagree with people and sometimes you just got to let things go and be like, okay, let's do that. But sometimes you, you really have to know when to dig your heels in, like I say, and, and, get things done in the way that you want them to to happen
0: yeah I guess it's about you know allowing more voices into the room but at the same time you know not letting them dilute your own or something like that
1: yeah exactly just just learning when to make your voice heard
0: um and then finally I'd love to know what is a film from a woman director that you consider to be a bit of a hidden gem that maybe you wish more people had seen
1: so many a film that was like quite important for this for perfect 10 and um i watched it again this year actually is a beautiful film called um summer 1993 by a director called carla simon have you seen it
0: i love that film so much that the child performances are. i, I was just amazed at them it's
1: absolutely beautiful um so it's a it's a, it's a catalan filmmaker called Carlos simon and she i think is based she said you know in interviews it's based on our own childhood Uh, It's just about this young girl who's lost her mother and goes to live with her auntie and uncle in the countryside uh, with like a little cousin who's like a little bit younger than her. And you know, the girl's grieving. She's like, I don't know, eight years old. She's like the most amazing actress. It's just, I cried for about 50 minutes of this film. It's the most beautiful thing ever. And it's, it's just a real, it's about grief, but it's not done in a cheesy way. And it's very very truthful. And it's uh, lots of like very um, key things are told about the character like through very uh, small and little things. Like there's a thing where she, there's the scene where she has to go and pick a vegetable and she picks the wrong vegetable from outside. It, it's hard to explain it outside, you know, if you haven't seen it. It's really moving and it's kind of a scene where this character like learns something about herself. And um, it's just about a girl who's kind of hiding her grief from other people. And the sort of film explores that, but it's, Very beautiful, isn't it? Just the performances are so
0: beautiful, and it kind of ties in with what you were saying about complex characters and sort of not having to like everyone. Because especially as children, like I thought, the thing that struck uh, me most about it was how spot on it was about how vindictive children can be, particularly when they're jealous or you know they feel like the attention isn't on them. Particularly when they're going through something as difficult as losing their mother, like it can it can kind of manifest in really quite you know ugly ways, and it kind of didn't shy away from that. But with a with a a, like such a sensitivity yeah
1: exactly and I think that for me that's the most beautiful thing about films is when you see someone do something like it's maybe not a great thing but that's the point I mean I don't want to watch films about people doing good things all the time That's like it sounds really boring and then the other film as well is a beautiful film called Body I think it's called Cielo in uh, Polish but it's a bi-polish director called Malgorzata Szumowska you seen that
0: i haven't seen it no is um is she the director that did mug is it mug or the other lamb i want to maybe one of the or both of them i don't know
1: yeah she's very prolific there's a lot of films from about 2015 i was in toronto for a film festival and i met her she was like a mentor in this thing i was sort of um training that she was super super cool lady and body it's just an amazing film it's quite off the wall it's quite it's very different to how i'd actually probably you know make a film stylistically but it's just about a dad and it's about a, a, his daughter, like a sort of grumpy Polish dad, like really grumpy Polish dad who goes and identifies corpses, you know, after like people died and his daughter who mm-hmm. has anorexia and she's really struggling with that. And she has like an, a a woman, like a doctor woman who's helping her with her eating disorder. And it's just this kind of strange trio between these three people. And and it's very funny, very dark and very moving. And it's, it's really, I, I highly recommend it.
0: Eva, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you. I'm so glad we um, found the time. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you liked what you heard, please do leave me a review, subscribe, tell your friends, let me know on Instagram at Best bestgirlgrip and I'll be back with another episode next week.